and on ABC Radio. You are with Rod Quinn. We've got David Kilby coming up pretty soon. But before that, well, I don't know if it's snowing in Boston, but somebody who can tell us there is Celeste Katzmarston, who is with us from Beantown in the US of A. Celeste, good morning. Good morning. Is it snowing there? It is not. (laughs) What? Oh, come on. Well, but but the story is that supposedly there might be some snow on Christmas Eve, and if it stays cold enough, it might stick around, which would be the first white Christmas in Boston since 2009. Hmm. The thing is, of course, about, well, Boston and, and other parts of the eastern United States is it's actually pretty early in winter. Like, winter has only just started, you know, or in fact, you know, kind of in the last couple of days, so... The idea of a white Christmas is ridiculous in a way. I mean, it's more likely to be snowing in, well, February or indeed, you know, sometimes like that. Yeah, we definitely have not seen it in a while. And it is sort of, that's the the storybook. That's the song lyric, right? White Christmas and this is what everyone expects. But yeah, we haven't had one here in a long time. Now, something else that hasn't happened for a long time is the same two candidates facing off in successive presidential elections. I don't think it's happened since 1956 when Adlai Stevenson was the Democratic nominee, as he was in 1952, and ran twice and lost against Dwight Eisenhower. Prior to that, you've got to go back to Grover Cleveland, I think, and that other guy, Benjamin Harrison. I went to his house once in Indianapolis, um, which is worth the visit, by the way. If you're in Indianapolis, I really recommend going to the Benjamin Harrison house. It's really interesting, and to his grave, too, because uh, he was married twice and his wives are buried on either side of him, which is kind of weird. Wow. Uh, but we could have it this time or next time with Joe Biden sort of saying, well, he's going to run again, even though people have been saying he's not going to. Uh, and Donald Trump is probably the presumptive Republican nominee. Yeah, it, it looks like we could have a rematch, which, as you say, and I'm impressed, by the way, with your knowledge okay. of American history, um, is uh, is quite unusual, not something that we see very often for a lot of reasons. And in this case, we are talking about, um, at least in the course of American history, two exceptionally old candidates for president of the United States. So it would be interesting on any number of levels, also not considering what happened during the last election, which was really one of the uglier ones we've seen. I think it was the, well, the easily the worst, it had the worst uh, debate of all time. The thing <laughs> is, though, by the time the election comes round, Joe Biden's going to be, you know, seriously into his 80s. Donald Trump will be old as well. I mean, he's obviously be two or three years older than he is now, but he's also an old man. Uh, is that what the American electorate wants, is two blokes, you know, either just on either side of 80 running for president? Well, I think it's it's interesting. Sometimes when you look at who ends up being the candidate, is it the people deciding who they want to be the candidates or is it the party? Because we do have primary elections and uh, those are uh, largely organized and funded by people who are sort of party insiders. It's not sort of a, uh, you know, a, a general canvas of who gets to run for president. Lots of people run for president. The ballot is full of people who are trying to run for president on all kinds of parties. But in the end, we end up with these two major candidates from the two major parties. And, you know, for all the talk in this country for many, many years about diversifying the parties and uh, 
bringing more women into the process, you do still end up with sort of two older white dudes. So yeah. um, I'm not sure if uh, if we've uh, really progressed as yeah. far along on, on that trajectory as, as we might have uh, thought about doing. So some people, myself included, thought, well, Biden will be a one-termer, that he's this is a bridge candidate or he's an interim candidate perhaps. Uh, and whoever was going to be his vice president, as it turned out, Kamala Harris, would be again the presumptive Democratic nominee. But she's hardly set the world on fire for her vice presidency. In fact, it, I mean, vice president is generally a fairly anonymous role anyway. Uh, you get stuff done behind the scenes, but I don't even know that anyone can point to anything she's done. So uh, and people are already saying, oh, they'll replace her on the ticket as well. It's interesting. Vice president is, as you say, kind of an anonymous role, essentially, if you do it right. Uh, the vice president's job is essentially to not overshadow the president, to not get in his or her way and to support his or her policies uh, and be sort of an ambassador for the administration's uh, own mindset and own actions. So, you know, how do you break out uh, as a vice presidential candidate when your job is essentially to a support the president and do whatever they feel like doing and be sort of just be there as a backstop in the uh, unfortunate event that something should happen to the sitting president. Um, so Kamala Harris has definitely had mixed reviews. Um, how fair some of those are is, of course, something to be decided by each individual. But uh, it, it will be sort of interesting to see if she changes any of her uh, activities, if she steps up in any way, or if she essentially gets more latitude to be out front yeah. uh, as we get closer to the 2024 oh. election cycle. Yeah, but the more she does, the more people think, oh, she's running and he's not running. Yeah. And at this point, frankly, Joe Biden has, there's no advantage to Joe Biden to say, I'm a lame duck president yeah. because who would go along with anything he says? They'll just wait it out. Right. So he sort of has to be in a position right now where he says, sure, A, I'm going to run. B, I'm not worried about Donald Trump. And uh, Kamala Harris has to sort of go along with that right now. That's her mm -hmm. job. Well, the thing is, he's only been in less than a year. He's still got another year before he's a lame duck. So we'll see what happens. Uh, his major problem, of course, is the Supreme Court. They've had you know some controversial abortion rulings lately. And now, um, well, he's va uh, mandated vaccines in uh, uh, large employers and healthcare workers. That, for some reason, has gone to the Supreme Court. And this is why the Supreme Court is now... Despite all the criticism from Republicans over the years about activist judges, they in fact have stacked the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is pretty activist and they don't seem to complain about that. But uh, this is where Joe Biden's going to be stymied again. Well, right now what we're looking at is uh, sort of an unusual, an emergency or fast track hearing uh, with oral arguments coming up on January 7th uh, regarding these vaccine mandates, which are for uh, private employers uh, with more than 100 employees and for healthcare workers. And basically the question is, does the federal government have the latitude, the ability, the authority, I should say, to impose those kinds of mandates? And uh, some of these employers uh, and individuals are saying, no, it's an overreach. And so that is the question that is going all the way to the Supreme Court, which is, uh, you know, very short story. Can they do that? Mm. And that's what we're going to find out. What do you think? 
I think that the federal government does have pretty wide authority to impose uh, emergency measures. If there is an immediate threat to life and safety and health, they generally do. I think that doesn't come without exceptions. And there are medical exceptions written into this federal mandate. Uh, if you have a big problem in the United States, and we do have a problem to some extent of healthcare workers not wanting to receive the vaccine because they don't trust it or because they are uh, you know, otherwise opposed to it, then you can see how that becomes a, a real problem. We've had uh, hundreds of thousands of deaths in this country. We have a huge spread right now of the Omicron variant of the virus. Uh, the question is, though, how long would those emergency measures take effect? How far down can they go? Can they uh, ultimately authorize uh, an order that says every business has to have uh, max, you know, uh, vaccinated employees, masking, uh, distancing, that kind of thing? Uh, is there uh, somewhere where the federal authority stops? And I think that's going to be sort of the broader question that the Supreme Court looks at. Although I have to be honest, a lot of these big picture questions that we want to get answered by the court end up not really being addressed because many of the cases are reviewed on a very technical and very yeah. specific level. They don't necessarily have precedent for uh, for bigger questions. I think when uh, President Biden took over in uh, January, there were 400,000 deaths in the United States. That's doubled to 800,000 by the end of the year and obviously will go past a million early next year. However, there are more pressing issues, perhaps, if you can believe it, than coronavirus. This is from a woman by the name of Barbara Walter. She's a political science professor at the University of California, but she has advised the CIA over the years. She's written a new book called How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them. And if people think, yeah, civil wars, that's somewhere, you know, it happens in South America or Africa or somewhere like that, she's talking about the United States. Yeah, that's that's sort of Merry Christmas to all of us here. Uh, but basically she's saying that compared to other, uh, you know, to autocracies that she's looked at and, <clears throat> pardon me, countries that have experienced civil war, uh, the United States is showing some of the warning signs of falling into the kinds of patterns that lead up to civil unrest. And, um, you know, that could be uh, ethnic, uh, racial divisions, uh, ideological divisions, uh, but it could also be the erosion of democracy. And there's been a lot of reporting, some of which uh, I have done, and talking about voting rights and um, election integrity and election security. You know, when you put together all these threats of sort of uh, you know, ideological divisions in a country and the erosion of the bedrock of the democracy, which is free and fair elections. Uh, if either of those things is is becoming a problem and it's happening uh, at the same time, then yeah, you do start to worry about the the stability of the democracy. Stability of democracy is one thing, though. Uh, it all gets rocky from time to time. But civil war is another thing, because when people think of civil war, say, in the United States, they think of the blue and the grey, and they think about armies, you know, going to war with a president heading or generals heading each one. That's not what this civil war will look like. We're talking about a, a different kind of civil war, aren't we? Well, I think that people saw possibly, and again, I, I don't want to overstate this, and I'm not predicting that the United States is going to have a civil war, but people look back, if you think about it, just scarcely a year ago, we had uh, armed people uh, 
assailing the United States Capitol. We had people dying in the course of physical conflict, yes. physical battles in our uh, seat of government. And that's really scary. And I think what, what you're talking about, uh, what you're referring to longer term is the question that some people are asking, which is that if something like that could happen and we are looking at instances of domestic terrorism and extremism, particularly in the military, in the United States military, which which does exist, um, is there potential for a successful military coup if uh, a, presidential, a presidential election doesn't go the right way, if people are otherwise uh, unsatisfied or, or unhappy with how the government is functioning? Could that happen? And you know, some indicators suggest that it could. At least there has been warning from from people with high standing in the military community that we should really be worried about this. How would it happen? It ju- I, I know we say, well, it couldn't happen here, and I know everyone always then says, well, it happened in Germany, but it's a different country, hugely unstable after World War One. But then you look at something like Northern Ireland, which is one of the uh, countries, I think, that she quotes in her book or cites in her book. And Northern Ireland was... There was basically a civil war going on in Northern Ireland for decades before the the peace accords kind of smoothed it out. It didn't end it completely, but it did smooth it out. I would think, you know, organised as the raid on the capital was, there's no doubt about it. People, I don't think, realised how organised it was and how people who were part of the Republican Party in the Congress helped organise it. But overthrowing a government or reinstalling Trump, who was not duly elected, that's a different matter, surely. I I can't imagine that there would be a majority in the Congress that would allow that to happen. And that's a a different matter altogether, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that the the thing that people are concerned about here, and again, there's a lot of different dynamics going on, but uh, what if it's something that's essentially not allowed to happen? What if it's not sanctioned? Or what if there's partial sanctioning? What if people are decide, uh, divided along party lines or ideological lines or racial lines, whatever it may be, and there is not sort of a unity of interest or a unity of purpose in keeping together the fundamental government structure that we have? What if people in uh, in Congress or people in the military or people in local government or something are just like, forget it. We're not going to listen to what the federal government says. What if there you know, can't be emergency mandates? What if people are not cooperating with people start to disobey federal laws? People stop paying their taxes. People stop sending their children to school. I mean, I don't know, just sort of like those things all sound really mad. And I don't think those things are happening on a wide scale right now. But, um, you know, is it going to be a case where there are sort of pockets of insurrection? I don't know. It's it's you would think that for a full on coup, uh, a failure of the government, um, these things would have to be more organized. But as you said, even something like the riot uh, on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol was, in fact, more organized. It was not sort of an organic um, expression of people's unhappiness with the election. It's scary stuff. Hmm. It wasn't just that there was a rally and the president said, you know, you need to fight to take control of your country. And then he left and they all marched on the Capitol. I mean, there were people with maps and plans and they'd been talking with uh, some members of Congress the previous night. So there's a lot uh, that goes on that we need to know about that. And, um, you know, so far the Republicans have pretty much been un- 
they've been reluctant, it's fair to say, to cooperate and talk about what happened. Let's end on a happy note this year, though, Celeste, because my favourite football team in Australia are known as the Sea Eagles. And Massachusetts, yes, unbelievable, isn't it? Um, We have beautiful Sea Eagles in Australia, but there's also a Sea Eagle. Well, I'd like to say it's a Massachusetts Sea Eagle, but it's not. But, you know, you're claiming it. What is the story with this magnificent bird? Yeah, so there is this super, super rare bird that we never see here called the Stellar's Sea Eagle. And somehow, over the course of of a long time with a lot of different side trips, it has apparently made its way from Asia to Massachusetts, which is something like 5,000 miles away from where it's supposed to be. And it keeps popping up uh, different (laughs) places around here. But it's also been seen in Canada, in the eastern part of Canada, but it's also been seen in Alaska. And they're pretty convinced from looking at the markings and from tracking this thing that it's the same bird. It's not a few different birds running around. It's the same dude flying around 5,000 miles from where he's supposed to be and just everyone is sort of amazed like how is this happening and it's it's become sort of a sensation here because this is not something that you would expect to see I mean this is like seeing a a snowflake in August really weird (laughs) so there's only about 5,000 left in the wild they think Uh, so you know you got a one in 5,000 chance that it is the same bird but what a remarkable life it must lead just flying wherever it likes and you know basically half the world isn't it yeah it's uh, he's definitely a world traveler i hope he's been you know vaccinated wears a mask when he's flying that sort of thing but um it's just sort of amazing and people are wondering why is this is is he just lost or uh, is he one of these uh, there's a uh uh something that birds do sometimes or a quality that they have called vagrancy, which just oh. sounds kind of mean, but essentially <laughs> like some of these birds that are, are sort of quote unquote lost are actually the birds that help propagate the species by going oh, out and yes. searching for new habitats. But I guess the question is, does this bird find somebody to hook up with so that he can, uh, you know, Dude. propagate the species? Extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And we wish it all the best for Christmas too. Celeste, thank you very much. Um, Christmas for you or, you know, tomorrow, or what are your plans or, the, you know, on December 25th? Yeah, we're going to be just uh, hanging out locally with family. We've all gotten our COVID tests and our boosters and everything. So hopefully that will go well. But, uh, you know, that that's the main thing. It's been a long time since we've been able to, to spend enough time together as a family. So that's how we're going to do it. All righty. Well, you have a wonderful time. Thank you so much for being a part of this show this year. And we very much look forward to doing it, doing it again next year. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. Uh, the wonderful Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston, Massachusetts.